0: Well, welcome back to uh, another edition of the Boilers Extra podcast uh, as we, uh, as Purdue gets ready to face Michigan State on Saturday at Ross A. Stadium. Big game. Uh, it's November. This is when uh, the stretch run begins for, for everybody. Purdue one game away from bowl eligibility, but their opponent on Saturday uh, playing for much bigger stakes. Uh, as they are ranked uh number five or number six, depending on what poll you wanna look at, but last night, the Spartans of Michigan State came in at number three in the in the first reveal of the college football playoff, so they are definitely in the mix they're undefeated. Mel Tucker has put together a, a really good team uh coming off last week's win at Michigan, where they came from sixteen points down to put their fan base in a frenzy and also put their beat writer from the Detroit Free Press, Chris Solari, in a frenzy as well. Chris joins us on the podcast today. Chris, how are you doing? I'm I'm head above water, Mike, (laughs) Um,
1: you know, with basketball season starting. And, you know, I would say unexpected football success, I mean, to the point where, before the year, we had a, uh, a conversation about whether or not to go to the tournament in the Bahamas for uh, Tom Izzo's program, and we said, well, let's wait until the Nebraska game in week four. We'll we we'll have an idea if they're going to be okay or not and see if football will matter, and, you know, here we are here we are now ten weeks into the college football season, and they haven't lost a game yet. You know?
0: I would say they matter at this point. Uh Yeah. <laughs> All righty. Let's um, uh, first of all let's talk about last week's game. I mean, uh, Michigan uh, I got out to the big lead, got out to the sixteen point lead, and um, it didn't look good for the Spartans. But what what kind of turned that game around for Michigan State, and how how were they able to overcome you know uh, the Wolverines?
1: Well, I think there were two fourth down plays that really swung that game for Michigan State. In the first half, there was one to Jalen Naylor. And I mean, credit, uh, Peyton Thorne with two great throws on these balls because the first one he had Aiden Hutchinson in his face bearing down ready to deliver a blow and he went over the top, uh, and, and hit Naylor in stride and should have been a touchdown, but, uh, but for a great play that, that saved it in the Michigan secondary and then Kenneth Walker punched in after that. And then the other one, um, you know, Michigan goes up 16 points in the third quarter. And it's and in fact the exact wording that I tweeted was this is fourth and ball game hmm. and Thorn delivered an over the shoulder corner route to Jaden Reed, uh, you know between two defenders, then an NFL throw. I mean, you know we're going to look at all the Kenneth Walker numbers and some of the other big plays, but Peyton Thorn at That may be the the breakout moment for Peyton Thorne with that ball because, um, you know, Walker punched it in from the one after that. And now all of a sudden you, you convert to two point play and it's a one score game other than rather than, than being a turnover on downs and possibly headed towards blowout city the other direction. So, I mean, that then, then obviously Kenneth Walker. I mean, you know, Kenneth Walker has been a special Player as, as we've seen since the very first touch of the season, uh, when he went for 75 yards against uh, Northwestern, um, you, you kind of knew right then and there that this was going to be a different kind of year for Michigan State, and he's a different kind of player. I, I don't. I in 26 years of of being around covering Michigan State football, um, I cannot recall uh, a running back like this and. You know, and I, I've kind of dug into the history over the, over that time as well. I'm, the closest thing I could think of is, is there are maybe like a Sherm Lewis back in the sixties, who I think finished third in Heisman or Lorenzo White, but even Lorenzo White, you know, you know, Lorenzo White wasn't. This kind of player, Lorenzo White, you give the ball 50 times to, and he just runs you over and over and over. This is a guy that can make you miss on so many different levels, and I think that's the, that's what helped this game is the ability of, of Walker to get through that that first layer of defense and then run away from Michigan's secondary.
0: Yeah, I want I want to stick with uh, kind of the current. What's going on right now, and we'll we'll get to the how Kenneth Walker landed uh, at Michigan State. But they did reveal the college football playoff rankings last night, and you knew when Michigan State beat Michigan last week that they would be in the conversation. And now that you have to study the college football playoff because that's where Michigan State's at. Just kind of what was your thoughts on them being number three in the first reveal, and and obviously if they can win out they're going to be right there but how how do they stack up you think with some of the other teams that are that are around them in the in the rankings today
1: well, yeah i mean i think that the committee and gary barta uh from from Iowa basically what they've said is that one and two are easily georgia and and Alabama, and they had a lot of discussions on three through nine. And I do think that, you know, one of the things that helps Michigan State in that is that both Michigan State and Alabama played Miami and fairly similar results, which I think goes a long way, um, a, a long way towards uh, giving the, the committee a comparison, you know, because you have uh, a common opponent, you, you know, Michigan State goes on the road, Alabama plays on a neutral site. So you have some comparatives there that I think help. Um, you know, Michigan State over Ohio State, to me, was maybe a little bit of a surprise, but not shocking because I think the committee clearly also put, at least in that case, uh, the head-to-head with Oregon and Ohio State as a determining factor you know i mean there's other you know cincinnati obviously being lower than expected ohio state i think five cincinnati six and wake forest and oklahoma at eight at eight and nine um is interesting with being unbeaten so the committee's not putting an emphasis there on unbeatens but yeah it's you know it, it is it's fascinating and it this is the thing: is having been through this before, seemingly a hundred lifetimes ago, but really it was in, in the grand scheme of things, it was only a couple of years ago, with Michigan State um, back in Mark Antonio's tenure. These things are so fluid. Um, you know, Georgia and Alabama are going to play, and that's going to probably knock one of them out. Um, Ohio State and Michigan State are going to play; that's probably going to knock one of them out, um, or solidify for Michigan State's case in 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 or out. Uh, so, and, and then there's, it, I, I love my favorite phrase, and I, people have, uh, college football amnesia, right? <laughs> we, we always get into this point of the year, and you see the playoff rankings, and you think it's fate accomplished, you think everything's done, and you think this is all etched in granite, right? <laughs> and then, one after another, one of these teams will have a loss to in a game that you don't expect and someone's going to come up and bite someone. I mean, it could be Purdue being Michigan State this week. I mean, Mel, look, just ask Mel Tucker. He rattled off every game that Purdue has ever won in an upset of as an unranked team to us this week. So he did his history and homework. So he's a, this is a big game for, for them. And I mean, any Michigan State fan knows that Purdue in the past has, has come up and bit them at points. Uh, so, you know, but there's, but around the country, there's, there's a lot of games like that, you know. I mean, you, there, the SEC week in, week out, it doesn't matter who you face. You could, you can get a L. Um, you know, Cincinnati maybe has the easiest path, but what exactly does that do for, for them, you know, other than just biding their time and hoping you know, some of these teams ahead of them lose. You know, the AAC's not going to get you much uh, at this point. That's why they're really looking for that jump to the Big 12. So, um but even still, what exactly does that matter for, for Oklahoma right now? Because, you know, Oklahoma's schedule's not considered all that great. And they've struggled in games against Kansas and whoever else. The <laughs> funniest thing I saw was the committee wasn't really impressed with Oklahoma's comeback win at Kansas. So, you know, <laughs> um I, you know, that's the thing. It's like I'm not putting too much stock into this right now because this is it, – it's just like the AP poll and just like the coaches poll. These are snapshots of the moment. Um And at the moment, I I don't know if I put Michigan State as a number three team, but when you come off that Michigan win and Michigan being at number seven and, you know, that – Barra even mentioned it. You know the, the what Kenneth Walker has done in establishing himself as a Heisman candidate also played into that factor and that decision making for them to put them at number three.
0: Yeah, all good stuff. Visiting with Chris Solari from the Detroit Free Press covers Michigan State uh, for for the for the newspaper and the website. Uh, we appreciate his time this morning, uh, Chris. Let's talk how Mel Tucker put together this roster and the, the transfer portal is here to stay and. Uh, Mel, by, you know, at least from the outside looking in, really has done a good job of getting the right kind of players to get into his program and then use them accordingly. Just how did, how did this roster come together? Um, and uh, obviously getting, you know, Kenneth Walker was the biggest piece of that, but just how, how did he do it and how, and how has it worked? How has it meshed together? Well, it's fascinating. Because, I mean, if you remember at Big Ten
1: Media Day, that was something that I asked Pat Fitzgerald. Um, I said, is this a moment where college, like the whole eyes of college football are going to be on Michigan State to see whether this is, you know, a, a viable scenario or something to completely avoid? And, you know, he kind of agreed in that respect that, that, that you know, college football is a copycat. Situation, so you'll, you may see a lot more of this with how well Michigan State has done, but I mean, he went out, um, last season and went two and five, and there were so many rest- restrictions and parameters and speed bumps in Michigan State's way. I mean, you know, f- starting with Mark D'Antonio leaving in February after the coaches' meetings. You know, the, 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 in, you know, the, you have the annual coaches meetings to fill positions and assistant coaches and that left his guys in a limbo when, when they, when he retired and then left Michigan State in limbo because now all of a sudden you've got to try and get a coach right in the middle of the, the late signing period, yeah. the normal sign, normal signing period, I'll call it. Um, mm. and they, they had the dalliance with Luke Fickle and, then they hire Mel Tucker. So they hire Mel Tucker, then it's everything shut down a month after that in 2020. And then the stops and starts and everything else. They brought in one transfer at that point, and they kept Connor Hayward out of the portal. So I think that's kind of the starting point for this. And Tucker didn't have a chance really to see what his team was uh, in person until they reconvened fall camp. Um, because they, they got four days in. Um, they got four days in before they shut down the big 10 and then they restarted. And then all of a sudden you got a month to kind of prepare with a bunch of guys. You don't know who they are. They don't know really who you are other than virtually through zoom meetings. And he found a roster that was kind of, I don't want to say devoid of talent because I I think that the talent clearly was there because you look at the number of playmakers that are left over from the D'Antonio tenure. There were playmakers that he inherited, um, but the depth I think was suspect. And he went out and and you know, late in the season put basically a call out, an open call out was saying that, you know, we're gonna use the portal. We're gonna we're gonna rebuild this. I don't have the patience. I and he goes and just one after another, I mean it's it's an NFL approach and it's a guy that they came from the NFL, um, spent a decade in the NFL. He's been through free agency. That's the approach they took. They they have, uh, analysts that that are looking at the guys in the portal, studying their tape, studying their measurables, watching to see where they might fit within the structure of their program. Um, that's how they found Kenneth Walker. Um, you know, and, and, other guys Drew Jordan uh, the defensive end from Duke they, they basically used it to fill gaps and you know he was up front with guys that that he saw in the program that didn't have either the want to or the physical capabilities to, to play at that level and listen I think the difference between Mark Antonio and Mel Tucker is Mark Antonio took the holistic family approach to the program and um you know, embrace guys that had lesser skills and tried to coach them up and, and, you know, everybody talked about, you know, guys like Jack Conklin and, you know, Kenny Willick just these walk-ons to starters and stars in the NFL and, and getting into the league. Uh, Mel Tucker is more of a business-minded guy. He, he looks at talent from an NFL perspective. And, you know, a guy like Cueveres Crouch for the Tennessee linebacker transfer, that uh, he had a need for speed. At linebacker, and I think across the board, they had a need for speed. But at linebacker and at cornerback, those were the spots where you saw him really invest to try and enhance his four-two-five defense. And you know, Michigan State didn't have a player like Quavarius Crouch. I mean, this is a guy that's you know a freakish athlete. He was a top running back, and he can go sideline to sideline and hit you hard. You know, and that's. The, you know, the, the thought is that you can coach him into that. You can coach him into your system, and, you know, it, it's taken the midseason, but he, he's got back-to-back 13 tackle games. He's really flowing uh, to the ball, uh, and, and that's part of the, the analysis that they did um, in, in identifying these guys is, you know, a lot of the measurables, a lot of the, the you know, combine-type stuff, and it, it really is fascinating because I think that a lot of, colleges are going to look at this um, for either quick fixes at certain spots or when a new coach in particular takes over a program and wants to install or change uh, a philosophy this this may be the way to do it and, You know, credit Mel Tucker and credit his staff top to bottom too because I don't think this was a it, it, it's the approach that Mel Tucker brought but he also put in a lot of people with a lot of knowledge in the right position is to find those guys
0: yeah you gotta you you do have to have the support staff there willing to, to to dig deep and make sure that you're getting the right type of guys I mean other than some of the guys that you mentioned and Kenneth Walker obviously is the stand out there but who are some of the other transfers that have really made an impact uh, for them yeah. right now well as I
1: mentioned you know where's Crouch right I, I think that you know from a he he went from a three four defense into this four two five, so I mean a lot more ground to cover and a lot more in terms of pass responsibilities that I think that he struggled with, but at the same point his athleticism has allowed him to make up for it. I mean, is that the kid you're gonna see playing on Sundays um in some capacity, but um, you know, the last couple weeks we started to see him kinda think less and play more. And you're seeing the results but then the cornerback as, as as we were talking about the, I mean that's they had wholesale changes there I mean they brought in Ronald Williams who was a Juco guy who went to Alabama last year broke his hand he's been starting all year Marquis Lowry um, from Louisville has been in and out with injuries but has that size and length at corner that that you know is pretty pretty much the, the fit for that kind of defense and Uh, Chester Kimbrough is a Florida transfer they brought in. He's played well on the offensive side. You know, you, 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 we see so much about, uh, Walker, but you know, the left tackle, Jarek Horst, they brought in, uh, he was a Sunbelt, uh, first team Sunbelt, uh, all conference player a year ago. He, they plug him right in and started left tackle and that's made a significant difference up front because um, I think it's elevated the competition and put stability on the line and on the blind side uh, for Peyton thorn and and the rest of the guys I mean you know there, there's a lot of guys that have played on special teams I think that's um, that's something that, that Michigan state struggled with the last few years so you might not so you might not just from the naked eye see look at the stat sheet and think wow these you know there's only a few of the the 20-some transfers they brought in that are really doing things, but a guy like Kendall Brooks, who came in from North Greensville, Division II North Greensville, um, didn't play last year because they didn't have a season. And he's been a stud on special teams for them, you know, making big tackles and getting up and down the field. And Harold Joyner, who's the backup running back they brought in from Auburn, he's been a missile on punt and kickoff coverages, getting down and, and covering guys. So, the, and, you know, it's fascinating because it's, you know, there, it wasn't like there was, I'm just going to pluck a player here or there from major programs that are taking out. There are some of those. Um But, you know, to go to an Arkansas state to go to a North Greenville and they they've got a kid from Wheaton College who's uh Spencer Rowland. I mean they they've they did some due diligence on these guys to to kind of kind of see who would fit in those roles and I think you know that's it 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 and let's face it he also had to learn how to blend those guys in which I think is something that you know you can bring all these guys together but you still got to make them a team Right. And that to me is the, the, the best thing that Tucker has done in this chemistry experiment. I mean, he brought him in incrementally. You know, some of those guys came in over winter, over the winter of 2020, um, into January 2021. You know, they had, they had six guys transfer in at that point, including Walker and Anthony Russo and Drew Jordan, the defensive end. Uh, that's another guy that I've he's been more of a depth guy, um, but he gives some stability and veteran presence on the defensive line. But those guys came in in December, um, in January of this year. Um, then the second wave came in May, and then another wave came in June. So it, it's been a, a constant role where it's—I mean, it really—I mean, if you're going to move on to the NFL, this is what it's like. You know, you'll have the the free agent signings come in, and then you'll have the the, uh, the draft class come in, then you'll have the undrafted free agents coming. So it's, it's really, you know, the NFL mindset being brought into this with the transfer portal is equally as compelling as how they have found these guys and where they've assessed needs to plug them in play when you have guys like Peyton Thorne and Jaden Reed Jalen Naylor, and, uh, you know, a number of those guys that have been around this program. Um, that were part of this program
0: that he inherited. Right, we're visiting with Chris Solari of the Detroit Free Press, covers all things Michigan State, and I want to stay on the transfer portal thing. Just one one brief question, and I I don't know if this has an answer yet, but is is what Michigan State and Mel Tucker did as far as bringing guys in from the portal? Can this be a sustainable model for programs? Moving forward, you know, do you how much time and effort do you put in the portal compared to how much time and effort do you put into the, quote, traditional recruiting of high school players? Is this something that can be sustainable down the line?
1: No, I don't believe so. And I don't believe Mel Tucker thinks so either. I think, again, when we go back to look at the timeline of everything, usually when a new coach takes over you get through spring practice that first year and guys will leave because they know they're either out or in. Um, that never happened for them. So you had a backlog. I think there was a backlog of that in 2020 that maybe put the numbers on a different plateau. You know, I think it was 26 or so guys out and 21 transfers in not counting the, the freshmen, um, so I mean I think it was something like 41 new guys on the roster with the the incoming freshmen. Um, so so that's one part of it. I think the extra COVID year is another part of it. Right, yeah. And I th- and I think that you know you look at the timing of it right now because there were there might have been more spots to have to fill, you know, because you've got a bunch of six-year guys that wouldn't have been around otherwise, like a Matt Coglin or a. Jay, uh, I'm not taking a because he would have been a fifth year guy, but he stuck for an extra year and Drew Beasley stuck for a sixth year. A bunch of the offensive linemen stuck for for extra years. So it's you know that I, I think there's a lot of things that have kind of gone on into why now it, it it really happened and clicked for Michigan State. But even Tucker last year, he said our bread and butter's gotta be the high school traditional recruiting and we use the portal to just fill little spots here and there you know not to this volume i think this volume like i said was more of a backlog of of guys learning whether or not they fit the system and whether or not they were, had a future in the program you know so if you look at that whatever it is 20 some guys leaving that you split that in half because you didn't have that in 2020 players weren't leaving this program because they didn't know what this program was Um, But I I do think, though, that you know, it it is going to be interesting to see what other first-year coaches do to try and mimic this. Because, like Pat Fitzgerald told me in in uh, in July, you know, coaches are nothing but copycats. So if it works, you know they're going to use it. And Mel Tucker's shown it can work. I, I don't. I just don't know. You know, if you don't have an NFL background. And and very few college coaches do. I don't know if you can do it to that kind of level and precision that 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 he's been able to. Right.
0: All right. About Saturday's game, you know we you, you you've watched Michigan State all year. You know I've been able to get pieces here and there, but you know you end up looking at numbers and stats and see how to try to get a, a grip on uh, how the team looks and how it will play. You know, obviously, Michigan State is last in the Big Ten in in passing defense as far as giving up yards. Is that was that a byproduct of just kind of what happened last week with Michigan, or have they struggled defending the pass? And obviously, Purdue is more pass-heavy than a lot of other Big Ten teams. So, how do you assess where the Spartans are at as far as defending the pass and then, then trying to defend Purdue's passing game with David Bell and? Titan Payne Durham coming up on Saturday. Yeah.
1: I think you look at the, the scoring numbers. I mean, it's, it's one thing to look at the passing numbers, um, because you see a lot of yards there and you see them ranked in like a 120s. Um, but then you look at the scoring defense and they're giving up, I think, somewhere around like 18 or so a game. Right. Um, it, it's really been a, been, The epitome of the bend, but don't break defense because that's kind of the philosophy that they've been using this year. And we talked to, to secondary coach Harlan Barnett. He said, we don't want to give up any yards, but you can see it. I mean, they're playing, they're playing corners off sometimes five, some 10 yards saying, okay, we're going to force the quarterback, the opposing quarterback to beat us and challenge him to put it on his shoulder to throw the yards. And we're not going to give up long plays. If you watch back the Michigan game, you know, that wasn't a deep ball that beat them. It was an over-the-middle route, which I think is something where they struggled with at times. But that's kind of the, what they've done is they've said, let's keep it in front of us and let's not give up explosive plays. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's worked for the most part this season. I think a lot of the yards that you've seen that they've given up it, through the air have been between the 20s. And when they get to the red zone, things tighten up and they shrink the field really well and then you know part of that is how how good the pass rush has been um and you know one area of concern is they do give up a lot of third longs um and they're not a very good third down defense until they get to the red zone and the job that they've done in the red zone of forcing teams uh to settle for field goals has really been a difference maker and you know the passing yards you know it it it, it can be it to be so glaring um, when you see that kind of number and you think how is this team winning? But unless you look at it from the the, the micro context of, of you know they're they're tightening everything up inside the twenty, and you know they won't let you get into the end zone. They'll increase the pressure that you know scotty hazelton's run a number of exotic blitzes and brings pressure from different angles um and the secondary tightens up um it it is it's interesting and i think part of it is that 4 5 defense that's that's kind of the model that they've been doing so if if you see anything that happens um in the passing game the middle route um you know, that's stuff that I thought Michigan did a great job of exploiting the, the issues that they've had in past coverage with the linebackers. Um, and you know, that's, that they, they use speed to run away from the safeties and not let them tackle by using, you know, crossing routes and, and some of the other things that, you know, quick slants. So I I keep an eye on that this week. Um, because I think that's that's where Purdue can can make some some hay in the passing game. Don't look for the deep ball. Look for stuff over the middle and allow Bell and those guys to run run away from.
0: Right, all righty, Chris. We appreciate your time today. Very insightful, uh, very knowledgeable. Uh, giving us some good background on how Michigan State has reached this point uh, in the season. Uh, they still have some huge games left. You know, starting Saturday with with Purdue. Uh, but then you, you know, you still got, they still got Penn State and Ohio State coming up. There's a long way to go in this season. And, you know, as you mentioned earlier with the college football playoff ranking, yeah, they could be number three today. <laughs> It'd be yeah. number 10, be number 10 in two weeks for whatever, for whatever reason. But, uh, uh, again, appreciate your insight, appreciate your knowledge and, uh, uh, really appreciate you, uh, taking time out to talk about Michigan State today.
1: Anytime, Mike. I'll see you on Saturday.